What's love got to do with it? Thanks for joining with us today in our Sunday service or listening on podcasts. That's Tina Turner's big song hit that she made. A movie was eventually made out of the song, What's Love Got to Do With It? She called it a secondhand emotion or a sweet old-fashioned notion. You know, the truth is she couldn't be more wrong about what love is. And the understanding and the value of love is so critical in the way that we experience life. The more that you know and understand love and use it in your life, the better life experiences are. Last week we talked about the picture of love in a marital relationship and really all relationships combined together. But we talked about this this beautiful picture of, of how love is supposed to be. You know, when we first meet someone and we engage in a relationship, we call it we fell in love. You know, the verb there is falling and love is a noun. And we talked last week about, listen, we can't let love stay as a noun. Love has to become a verb. We said it this way, make love a verb. And we reminded ourselves in of the statement that Jesus made in, in John 13, 34. He said, a new command I give you to love one another, not just love one another, as he says, goes on, as I have loved you, you must love one another. He says, I want to show you the method of how to live a loving life. And we really talked last week about how everyone longs to be in close-knit relationships. And whether it's friendships, whether it's in our community of people that are around us, we want a loving family. Particularly, we want a loving marriage and a healthy relationship in that mindset. And yet, so few people, and statistically, we know, have those fabrics or those ingredients within their lives that they're experiencing the joy and benefit of loving relationships. But there's something in every one of us kind of an imprint of God we talked about, the image of God that makes us long to be connected in a deep way with someone, most of the time for our life. We want to be connected with someone for our life long. So what's love got to do with it? Well, I make this statement. is everything you ever hoped for in a lasting relationship is only discovered when people learn how to love. You know, the, the term love, the idea of love is, uh, I think, many times misunderstood. We think love is a feeling and we, we're discovering that love isn't just a feeling. Love is actually an attitude. It's an action. It's a, it's a spiritual inspiration that we get to, to walk in in our lives. And when we make love a verb and we begin to engage love in, a, in, a, in an action form, it blesses our marriage, it blesses our families, it blesses our friendships, it blesses our community. And it, it changes the impact that we have and it changes our own experience as well. You know, love's form and love's force doesn't just allow someone else to feel something good. It actually does something for the person that walks in a loving nature. So the question is, how do we, when Jesus said, love others like I have loved you, how do we love like Jesus? Well, one of his followers early on wrote some things to a group of people in Philippi. He wrote, Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and he explained to them a dynamic of this mode of how do you love like Jesus. And again, I, I, I want to invite you to take a moment and think, how are your relationships in life right now? When you think about them, are they, are they vibrant? Are you going, oh man, I'm this, I love this relationship I have with my friend or with my spouse or with my kids. It just seems like things are flowing well. Or when you look around, you go, man, I, I don't seem to have very many healthy relationships around me. Well, I, I want you to pay close attention because the ingredients that you hear today can have a lasting impact on the future of your, of your relationship experience. So Paul describes the measure of how to love well or love like Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, he writes to these individuals and he says in verse number 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, basically, the, you could say, don't do anything out of con- competition. Uh, when you know, if you're, you're sitting, particularly in a marital relationship, if you're with your 
your spouse and they're telling the story and you go, oh, no, you didn't get that right. You, you want to fix them. You always want to kind of fix what's going on around them and uh, straighten the story out. He says, listen, don't compete with your spouse. Let, let them finish. Don't, don't be selfish. And I'll begin with this with the measure of love. Lesson number one about love. Don't be selfish. He goes on to say in this verse, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. That's the heart of actually what it looks like to love somebody else and to love like no other. Act as if the other person is more important than you. You know, when we first, my wife and I first got together and began to date, it was easy to make her more important than me. I mean, I just, it was like, whatever you want, honey, I'll take care of it. Whatever you need. I'm, yeah, you are the most important person in this relationship. I want to I wanna make you happy. I want to make you smile. I want to make you love me. And you are so important. And my actions in the initial um, engagement of our relationship was constantly about her, 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 her. And, and like all things, over time, we begin to lose the passion of what stirred emotions of love and feelings of love. And we begin to start to look inward and become kind of self-centered in, in a sense. And he says, but we need, to, we need to rather, in humility, value others above yourself. I'll ask you the question. Have you ever been around someone that's more important than you? Uh, and I'm not talking about intrinsically more valuable as a person, but that was more important than you, that you go, wow, that person's maybe it's a hero or maybe someone that you respect at a high level. There's, a, there's just a certain I- inference of honor that you give to someone that's more important to you. It's just a natural thing that we do. We, we defer to them over ourselves because of the value we place upon them. If you've ever been to a wedding... You can, you know, this is a great picture of importance. You know, when you're in the wedding, you know, no one stands in line for an hour to say hello to you, right? Why? If you're not the bride and groom, you're just not the most important person in the room. They are. It's deferred. Everyone is is thinking and focusing on them. Everyone's paying attention to them. You might be there, but you realize, no, this is, they are the ones that are the most important in the room. And I, I want to encourage you as we think about this mindset how do you treat somebody like that? Well, how do we treat someone that they're more important? Well, we defer to them. We treat them like that they have more value than we. That basically is, I'm going to respect this person. You know, as I have this conversation and in, in communicate, there's something that might be happening in some of your, your, your hearts and your mind. You're thinking, well, they're not or that person's not. You know, there's an exposure that happens when we start talking about love at this kind of level. Something called pride comes into play. And I'll just make this emphatic statement. Pride makes loving others impossible or improbable. It makes it extremely difficult to love the way Jesus loved when pride exists within our, our lives. You know, and some of you, as I have this conversation, you're feeling that sense of, well, they're just not that important. They're not that valuable anymore. You say, well, one time they were valuable, but they, they lost their value. I want you to know that that person, again, intrinsically, their value has never changed before God, before others. They're still very valuable. The way that you view them has changed. And you might mark the reason why this happened and that happened, but I want you to know that when love lives, the power of love and the power of grace and forgiveness lives so strong in the essence of love that it, it is a compelling form in, in a manifesting the goodness that is drawn out by the way we love. And pride is a resistant factor for us loving the way that we're supposed to. And the sad thing is, is that pride actually destroys the power and influence of love. It, it minimizes. Proverbs 16 says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you want to mess something up, 
Be prideful. Say you're the best. Say you're more valuable. Say that what you think is the most important thing to be thought. And what you're going to find and discover that destruction comes right along with those things. One of the most important things about pride that you need to know today is, is um, and to get rid of it, is you have to acknowledge that you have it. You have to acknowledge that that's an issue. Yeah, I do see myself as better. I do see myself as number one. I do see myself as uh, it's kind of about me. And if you, can, if you can honestly say and assess the situations of your relationships, and again, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're in, if you can assess and say that, that's the beginning steps of getting rid of pride because then we can invite God into our lives and say, God, expose me. And then you can begin to position yourselves to where you can say, I'm going to do something where I would want to do this. My pride would say I deserve it, but I'm going to defer to somebody else. And you can begin to beat down that nature of pride. And what is the beat down of pride? Love. You begin to express and give, as we said, you begin to show value to others around you. Adding value to others improves the way you treat them. Let me say it again. Adding value to others improves the way that you treat them. It's just the nature of things, a law of appreciation. When we value something, we appreciate it more. And I, as we talk about this idea of love, I'm really talking to you about the ability to let appreciation begin to happen around your lives. How do you take care of the most valuable possessions in your life? Don't you take care of a little bit of better care of them if they're really valuable? You maybe have a special spot for them, the way you care for them. You know, maybe you love your car and the way you treat your car and all those things. You do, the measure of what you do is different. The, the, the energy that you put toward them is different. Why? Because there's an appreciation. There's a value that you're putting in place there. There's a sense of awe that sometimes goes with the things that we value so much. And listen, this is how you stay in love. This is the mode of staying in love when you begin to honor and value and continue to let that honor and value come to play, even in the midst of mistakes and challenges and difficulties. When we love, we have the power to see past those things and people's lives can still appreciate. You ask me about how, how do people stay in love? Well, it comes naturally in the beginning, but to, to make it stay alive, it requires learning this measure of walking in love and valuing others, not walking in a spirit of pride. You know, some of you have placed more value, value on some of the inanimate objects that you have instead of the relationships that you have. You spend more time thinking about them. You spend more time taking care of them. You spend more money on things that at the end of the day are going to rust out or be bad or broken. And that's where you're putting your emphasis instead of learning to love the people that are around you in an essence of value. Paul goes on to say this in verse number four. And this is a challenging one for all of us. He says, if you, if you want to love, stay, keep your love vibrant, uh, vibrant, make people's value higher. Then he says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Well, but that's pretty hard because I heard one guy say this, I'm mostly interested in the things that interest me. And I'm not interested in the things that don't interest me. But he's saying, I want you to look not to your own interest, but I want you to look to the interests of others. I, I want you to think about what others are interested in and allow yourselves to begin to place value in their interests, things that maybe you're not interested in. I, I got a great example. My, when my wife and I got married, we had a couple kids, and as our kids began to get a little older, I played golf, and I wanted to take the boys out to play golf. Dawn never wanted to go play golf with me. She you know, had things that she loved to do, hang out with the girls, go shopping, whatever. She, she had her list of things that she loved to go do. She just didn't want to go play golf with me. 
And as the boys were getting a little bit older, we began to spend time and I'd take them out and we'd play golf together. And she was like, wait, I'm, I'm missing out on spending time with the man I love and the kids I love and they're, they're gone for a few hours and I'm missing out on that. And she said, you know what? They're interested in golf, so I'm going to become interested in golf. And as simple as that was and as, as, as maybe as difficult as it was for her to take those first steps, her interest in golf created for all of us a special place of bonding, of unity, of friendship and fellowship. And today, my wife and I still will go out and our kids are grown and sometimes even now with our grown kids and granddaughters, we'll go out and we'll play golf together and there's a special bonding. Why? Because she sacrificed her own interest, and well, she usually when I would go, she would go do her own thing or connect with her friends. She said, you know what, I'm going to be interested in what he's interested in. And, and in that interest, there was this bonding and building of, of deeper love toward one another. Love looks out for the interests of others. Love actually looks at people's lives. And again, this is a, an athletic sport, but it actually looks to the benefit and, and benevolence of what other people need in their lives. He goes on to say this in verse number five. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, or you could say in other passages, attitude as Jesus Christ, or as Christ Jesus. So what, what was his attitude? This is an important question we ask. Well, what was the attitude that Jesus had? Uh, you know, he was God, comes in the form of a man in the flesh. What was his attitude? This is what it says. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't take advantage, when he came to the earth, he didn't take advantage of his God card. You know, wherever Jesus went, he was the most important person in the room. <laughs> Whenever Jesus was speaking, his words were the most important to be heard. No other voices could, could emulate the, the value of the words that Jesus spoke. He never leveraged his authority. Well, what authority did he have on there? Well, he was God in the flesh. He was the creator of the universe, submitting himself, surrendering himself to the creature that was made. And he did this beautiful picture of, the, of honoring humans in a loving way as a picture and an invitation of, of the possibility of what we can do in our own lives of looking to the interest of others. You know, many of us, when we think about relationships, we go, well, this is a 50-50, you know, half me, half theirs, everything's half. And listen, Jesus didn't model 50-50. He said, no, I'm, I'm about you. I'm about, I'm about blessing you. I'm about caring for you. I'm about getting into your world, into your interests. Why? Because I want blessing to flow in our relationship and what is supposed to come to come. He goes on to say in verse number seven, rather, he made himself nothing. Or another scripture says he emptied himself. He poured himself out to come into the form of man. He poured out his glory. He poured out his authority. He poured out everything that meant something. He said, you know what? It's not about me. And again, the essence of this communication is I want you to understand what love is. You see, you think love is what someone gives to you. And I want you to know love is not what someone gives you. Love is what you learn to give to somebody else. That's what love is. And the power of mutual love when two people are loving the other the way that God designed to love it is a picture of an amazing relational beauty. It, it's a powerful when two people love each other the way God compels us to love one another. You know, we hear today that people are but just full of themselves. But what did Jesus do? He came and emptied himself. He, he made himself nothing. Going on to say, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I just want to make a note. 
The word humble there is a verb. He humbled himself. He submitted himself. He came under mankind, as it were, to love us. He humbled himself by. But what did he do? You say, well, did he come for dinner early? No, no, his humility was way bigger than that. You say, well, did he, did he go pick up the kids without anybody asking him? No, his humility, his humbleness was way bigger than that. Well, did, he, did he pay more attention in the conversations to what you were saying? No, his humility was bigger than that. What was his humility? He became, the Bible says, he became obedient to death. You know, there's a sense of this mindset that the dilemma of Jesus was he had to give up something to come into the form of man. He had to give up his glory. He could not submit and keep his glory at the same time. His right to be king, his right to be in charge, his right to be in authority, he surrendered that right to be in charge so that he could express love. You know, there's a, there's a decision that we have to make and we can't have it both ways. We either choose relationship or rights. You know, many people are saying, well, I'm right in this and, you know, you're wrong and it's all about who's right and wrong. And it's really not about the relationship. It's about the mode of what we're doing. But Jesus opted out of his rights for relationship. And you can't have it both ways. If you want the love that God is impressing us to have, it's not about what's right and, and about being right. And even when you're right, there's times when, when you can be exactly right and everything you said is, is, is correct, but the mode of how you're saying it and the communication of the way you're saying it is all wrong. So you've got right thrown in with wrong because humility is not in place. The love of God is not in place. And at the end of it, you don't get what you want, which is a loving, blessed relationship. I want you to know this humility that we are invited into. It's the same responsibility comes to us. We can't have it both ways either. We, we can't, if we got to be right, then we're going to miss out on the idea of relationship. And God's saying, listen, I, I want you to let relationship be first. Not because what's right doesn't need to come to bear. But if you're flipping one, if rights become more important relationships, the relationship is going to be so broken, you're not going to be able to fix what needs to be fixed. But if you put relationship first and your right to be right, and your rights below, it's an amazing influence and power on how we can transform the things that are around us. Don't miss out on God's purpose and plan for you to have a divine, blessed relationship of love driven by this very nature of Christ and showed and expressed himself through this love. And I want you to know that Jesus came for a divine purpose. He came to show himself to humanity, to surrender himself to humanity. Why? To win us in relationship back to him by his Willing obedience to go to the cross and, and die for us for our sins. It was God's plan to love us. For God so loved the world, it says in John 3, 16, that he sent his only son. And in sending his son, it was to express his love for us so that we could understand and know the value of that love. I want you to know this is a requirement for being and staying in love. Relationship over personal rights. You know, some of you, you've lost that. Today, it's all about the rights and it's not about the relationship. Uh, you might say, man, that sounds, that sounds like too high of a price to pay. Um, but I want you to know if you want to stay in love and keep the vibrancy of love alive and your marital relationship and the relationships around you, this is what it requires. The path to, to healthy relationships is through the vehicle of love. And you know, the Bible tells us in 1 John that God is love, the very nature of God and the presence of God and the power to not judge. Listen, if anybody had the right to judge when Jesus was on the earth, guess what he could have done? You're wrong. You're wrong. 
you got the problem, you're the problem. And he would have been right to judge. He would have been right to condemn. He could have said, your sins are this and your But he didn't. What did he do? He came, he taught life, freedom. He brought love. The measure of that love is what changed the world. And it's the same measure of love that can change the context of a relationship. Some of you have been praying, you've been hoping for God to do something. I want you to know that the beginning of that change begins not with the other person. It begins with you to decide like Jesus, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to begin to value others. Not because they earn the right, not because they deserve the right, but because this is the nature of the goodness of God and how God wants to flow through my life. This is the path that God made for relationships. He chose it to work this way. He chose it to say, if you want to have the best relationships possible, love one another. You know, my wife and I have enjoyed 31 years of of wonderful marriage because of this very premise of saying, I'm going to bless you when you, you don't deserve to be blessed. I'm going to love you when, when, when it's difficult. I'm going, to, I'm going to forgive you when I don't want to forgive. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And the, and the blessing and the honor of that, you can talk to couple upon couple that have lived this lifestyle. It is the only way to live and have a healthy, happy, loving relationship. God's inviting every one of us to this. Jesus did not come in the world to be right. He came into the world to build something special for us. And I want you to know that as we begin to acknowledge, let's not think about how important it is that I'm right. Let's think about how important is it that I invite myself to build a healthy relationship with the people that are around me. Because that is the only way that true love can work. You say, man, man, that's hard. That sounds hard to, to live that way. It's hard, but it's better than having a messed up marriage. And you say, well, yeah, but I mean, it's really hard. Yeah, but, but it's cheaper than a divorce, right? It's, it's, it's cheaper than having to find new friends. It's, it's, uh, it's better to do it the way that God had it. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it because it's God's design for you to have a healthy relationship, to live in healthy relationships. Healthy relationships make us smile. Loving relationships allow us to live a life like nobody else. I want to I wanna read this last scripture to you. And I, I just want you to open your hearts to the love and grace of God. You know, some of you, I'm talking about love and it seems like a far-fetched fantasy. But I want you to know that God has provided a way for you to not live in fantasy, but live in real hope and real grace and real peace and real forgiveness. Some, you know, some of you just have such bitterness and anger in, in you towards someone else that the thinking of them more valuable is just not even a part of your psyche. I want you to know that the grace of God can touch your heart in such a powerful way that what is bitterness now can become better and you can have the ability to extend grace and forgiveness. Not because they don't have to get things fixed or be made right, but God can do something in you that is greater than you can imagine because that's who God is. God is love. First John 4 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. It does. Some of you, because of the difficulty of your life, have not been reaching out to receive the love of God. I want you to know that it comes from Him. Love, real love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. It's a reminder. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. When we get saved, everything changes. Maybe you need to be saved today. Or maybe you need to be reminded of what your salvation has brought. It's because of Jesus Christ that we have life and the ability to have abundant life in him. It's what gives us the, the hope that we have in our lives. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Don't you want to walk in love? You know, this measure of having hope of a better tomorrow, I want you to know that it begins with your relationship with God and then it begins to extend with your relationship with others. And God wants to love you and you experience his love and God wants to love through you so that others can experience his love and you can be blessed by the love that you begin to pass on to others. You know, maybe you need to make Christ the center of your life today. Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. I want to invite you in this moment. Maybe you're hopeless. Maybe you feel that you are helpless in some of the things you're dealing with, whether it's pride or bitterness or anger or unforgiveness. I want you to know that it's in the very grace of God through Jesus Christ that your life can be changed. You're listening to this because God hasn't given hope up on you. He's not given up. As a matter of fact, he's inviting you to a new day of hope, a, a new beginning, a, a brighter tomorrow. And whether you're, you've been a Christian and fallen away, or maybe you've just kind of walked away from the very acknowledgement of love in your life, or you have never known God, I want you to know in this moment, God can change everything. But you need to surrender to his will. It's this submission. Jesus submitted to us, and the invitation to experience the love of God requires submission unto God, and acknowledgement of our sin and our need for God in our lives to be saved, to have a Savior. Would you like to do that today? Would you like a brighter tomorrow, a new hope, to be redeemed of your sins and have the gift of eternal life as a part of the benefit of that, but also to learn how to love and live in love? Pray with me this prayer where you make Jesus Christ the center of your life, the Lord of your life, and choose that this is the day that you step into his love and then begin to walk and let that love flow through you. Would you pray this prayer and say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that... You sent your son to come to die for my sins. And Jesus, you gave yourself willingly, submitted yourself to human life so that you could die on a cross for my sins so that I could be saved. Today, I acknowledge my need for you and I invite you into my heart. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your grace. Fill me with your peace and lead me in the path of love. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you. Let the love of Christ dwell in you. And we'll see you soon. If you're a first-time guest, we would love to have an opportunity to connect with you and give you a free gift for joining us today. Or if this isn't your first time, but you're ready to get connected, go ahead and send me an email and let me know how we can best serve you. We have life groups, both live and virtual, classes and resources to help you live your life in complete freedom. And you know what? If you're ready for the full on-campus experience, you can reach out to us via email as well, and we will get you connected with an opportunity to check us out and meet our church. Thank you so much for watching and have a blessed week.